I love the image of the fishing boats and the fisher fishermen in the Sea of Galilee. Last summer, summer 2017, Megan and I had the privilege of traveling to Israel and to Palestine, and one of the many fascinating things we saw was the Galilee boat or the, the Jesus boat at a museum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. See, back in uh, 1986, an ancient boat was pulled out of the mud along the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, And it was an exciting find that sort of gives us an idea of the sort of boat that was possibly used during Jesus' time. The boat, apparently there was a drought at that time and the water level was down and so it was seen in two brothers, Moshi and Yuval Lufan, second generation fishermen uh, from the area, were the ones who found it. And once the discovery was reported, members of the Israeli uh, Antiquities Authority came to investigate and began an archaeological dig. And they pulled the boat from it, uh, pulling, trying to pull the boat from the mud without damaging it. And it took 12 days and nights working around the clock. And if you go to the museum there on the shores of Sea of Galilee, there's a, there's a room with a movie and displays and all that kind of thing. And you can see this process happening. And then they immediately sunk it in a chem- chemical bath where it stayed for several years to preserve the wood. And then now it's on display, and you can actually see some pictures of it on the outline that I included in your bulletin. There's a couple pictures that I took uh, last year. And based on some of the studies on this wreck, on the the pottery and the nails that were in the boat, uh, radiocarbon dating and construction techniques, the boat was dated to somewhere uh, in the first century. Now, nobody says that this was Jesus' boat. might have been, but it was uh, very similar to the kind of boats that would have been there and used regularly by the, the people who went fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Um, the boat was pretty old. You could tell They could tell that had many repairs had been made on it, and speculation was that perhaps it finally got to a point where it couldn't be serviceable anymore and was uh, intentionally sunk to the bottom of the, uh, the lake there until it was found in 1986. This boat, actually, as you see the picture there and as you think back, becomes a, a vivid reminder of really kind of the daily life of these Galilean fishermen, to kind of try to take yourself back to those pictures and to those images. These guys were small business owners, not unlike small business owners today. These guys were from hard-working families who were making small profits and perhaps maybe even just enough to make a living. But this boat also becomes a powerful image of what we have just heard from the choir and what we have heard in the scripture reading and what Kelly has just shared with the children. That these simple, hardworking fishermen were called by Jesus to come fish for people. The third picture on the back of the outline there uh, after the two pictures of the boat is Megan and me, uh, and that's an awesome picture of the two of us, I know. But besides that, uh, in the background is the Sea of Galilee. We're on the northwest corner, kind of in the area where that boat was found. We're right near Capernaum, the, the ruins of Capernaum. And uh, it, was a very, it was one of the highest moments for Megan and me, very moving, as we were there on the shore of Galilee and considering uh, God's call to these four fishermen and to many others, but especially to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And reflecting on our own call to ministry and to service and our own call to be fishers of people. We wondered, was it right here? Was it just another hundred yards down the shore? Was it maybe over there where we see that other kind of outcropping of rocks? Somewhere right in there was where Jesus really, really did call these four men to come to follow and then to fish. 
That's what I'll look at for a few minutes this morning of following and fishing. Just as this original group of disciples, who were rather kind of a diverse group of guys, actually, just as they were called to be disciples and make disciples together, so we are called also to follow Jesus and to help others follow him and to do it together as a faith community. We're in this theme of unite. We come together with a passion to follow Jesus more deeply, but also to fish and to pursue our mission more fervently as well. So I just want to look at following, learning, and fishing. Following, what following Jesus looks like. When they first met Jesus, Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew were probably young, young men, perhaps even still in their teens. They were most likely not wealthy men, just working hard for a living. And it's possible that they weren't even um, of an of a educational ability to go study with a rabbi in the temple like a lot of their contemporaries were. And so instead of being in the temple studying, they were out learning the family trade. You might say it is often to the most unlikely and ill-equipped that Jesus says, follow me. He often called those who are on what today we call those out on the margins. And that's often where he took his disciples. He rarely took them to a classroom. In fact, I think he never did take them to a classroom. He took them out and had them follow him. They went where he went. And yes, there was a time when he was just with them and teaching, but even more often, Scripture sees the the disciples spending time uh, with the people that Jesus spent time with. Often the neediest, the, the sick, the lame, the neglected, those that that culture called sinners... Jesus, they they learned to, um, and and he also spent time with those who were really kind of overpowered, we might say. The the, the oppressed is one word we say, but overpowered, that the power structures of the the whole religious community and political community kept them in sort of a, a hopeless place. So following Jesus meant doing what he did, uh, giving value to what he gave value. It meant challenging the false teaching, and it also meant challenging the political and religious injustices that he challenged. And following Jesus meant hope to get out of those bad places. Following Jesus also means the re- being participating with him in the renewal of all things. I, in my study this week, I discovered a scripture I had never really noticed before in Matthew 19. It's a story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes and says, what might I do to be saved? And Jesus says, follow all these things. And he says, I do, I do those great. And finally Jesus says to him, now sell everything you have and follow me. And the rich man walked away and could not quite make that sacrifice. And in light of that, Peter says, um, um, in, in verse 27, he says, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us to do? In verse 28, Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Disciples of Jesus participate in the renewal of all things. And we're part of that renewal even now, anticipating what will happen in that great moment when Jesus comes back again. But we are participants in that renewal now as followers, as fishers. But disciple also includes that idea of learning. Discipleship is often interpreted as something educational. So there's following, but there's also a learning that happens for the disciple of Jesus. Some might say that learning is mostly just the gathering information, but these days, wouldn't you agree that we're a little bit of an information overload time? And what happens in an information overload is that we can begin to forget what we've learned and we even sometimes forget how we learn. We live in what's called the information age. We have more access to information than than humans in any other time in history. 
There is a benefit, of course. You can Google up anything you want. You can look anything up on Wikipedia. You can even look up right now. Some of you are already Googling the statistics. How many people Google things and how many don't? Some of you read your Bible on your phone. I did as well. There are benefits. However, many of our deepest thinkers are not convinced that all of this information is actually benefiting us. All of this information, whether it comes from our, our smartphones, our tablets, our laptops, in the form of headlines, tweets, sound bites, Facebook status, Instagram posts, YouTube videos, viral memes, blogs, books, plugs, movies, magazines, advertisements, newspapers, there's still newspapers out there, columns, articles, radio programs, interviews, even spiritual stuff. Is it actually all this overload actually benefiting us? Does all this data make us better human beings? Does all that information make us better followers of Jesus? In reality, this world poses a huge danger to us, especially when it comes to discipleship, because there's two ways in which the world of too much information poses a threat to learning. It can cause us to forget what we learn, and it can cause us to forget how we learn. What we learn, we learn so many things and it's easy to forget it and I'm reminded of it. Every time I walk through the lobby over here and I see the, the AED thing, you know, the, the, the thing for resuscitate, you know, your heart thing. I say, I don't even know what to call it. And Diane, Pastor Diana and Kayla and I went through a, a whole day training at Edward Hospital sometime last year. And, and we learned every detail about what you do when and when you say clear and when you say call 911. And I... And then when, where you put the pads and when you put them on and what you do to a child and what you do at all. You know how much of that I remember? I feel guilty every time I walk by that thing. I go, oh, Lord, please don't let anybody go down right now. Because I got so much information that day. Thank God I haven't had to use it. But I don't know what to do with it. I don't remember anymore. In a world already saturated with too much information, it's hard to absorb and process new information, let alone remember it. A world of information overload can also make us forget how we learn. It's tempting to think that having access to information or absorbing information or even being able to regurgitate information is the same thing as learning. But as any educator will tell you, simply the absorption and then recall of information is really not the best educational method. Learning needs to to take root. It needs to be active. And and true learning leads to a transformation, not just information, but transformation. True learning never stops with information. It always leads to transformation. You might say that we have to learn with our feet. We might have to learn with our hands. We We do it by following, by doing. That's how Jesus taught his disciples. He didn't have them watch videos and discuss it in small groups. He took them out there and they did it. Real learning reshapes not only what we know, but what we do. It changes how we see the world. It changes who we become, what we produce, and what we pass on to our children. God has always been primarily interested in our transformation, not how much information we know and can spit back. The reason Jesus took disciples uh, took on disciples was not merely to pass on information about God and, and all those things he did, but he also took them to transform them to be more like him. So that eventually they would teach like he taught, that they would heal like he healed, that they would walk like he walked, that they would live like he lived, and they would love like he loved and bear God's image fully even as he did. God is first and foremost concerned with our transformation. Ultimately, it's why God assumed human form so that he could heal our brokenness 
And he could restore us and then invite us to join him in the renewal of all things. Join him in demonstrating and announcing the kingdom of following him and learning. And then finally, fishing. Fishing. I've called you to be fishers of people, of men and of women. Here's, here's the part. Here's the part where those of us that have been around church for most of our life, we know that this is a place where we have the information. We've got the right answers quicker than you say. What is, what is our purpose? What are we supposed to do? We are to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody. We know that the right answer is that fishing means sharing our faith and leading others to Jesus. And when we really think about it, it absolutely freaks us out. And we immediately come up with excuses and guilt or whatever, whatever way you're wired. Some people come up with excuses. Some just kind of wallow in guilt. Because we're not really sure how to do that. We're afraid to do it. We're not sure what I mean. We don't want to impose something on anybody. We, we don't want to share something and find out that we don't have all the answers to give them. Because even though we learned it all, that information, we don't really grasp it all. And that's why we've introduced over the last two years the, the BLESS initiative. And Kelly just shared it with the children. The BLESS initiative is more about listening to and caring for others than talking and having all the right answers. It's more about listening than talking. Isn't that great? The best way to share your faith is keep your mouth shut and your ears open. And listen to a person and get to know them. What are their needs? How are they wired? What are the things that are concerning them? Where are the places where they're hurting? And listening carefully and getting to know them. To truly love our neighbors. It's really less about doing something to somebody. I haven't haven't done that to anybody. Like, bam, like I'm going to go beat them up with the gospel here. It's less about doing something or imposing than simply building a relationship and waiting for God to open up doors. And then opportunities to share our own story of faith, even the parts we don't fully understand yet because we're still learning and growing and being transformed. We don't have to have all the answers. But if Christ has been real to us and Christ is real to us and he's made a difference and given us a hope and a perspective on the world where we are not despairing anymore, we do have something to share with those who are far from Christ. Beginning with prayer, praying for people. Some of you wrote a list the last two marches. We've given you those lists. I encourage you to keep that in front of you. Listening with care, listening for those places of need and brokenness or stubbornness and hardness. Sometimes we hear that too. Eating together, sharing life together, serving with love, and then finding those places to share our story. This is actually woven into our new plan that we have as we look forward. Some of you may remember that our vision statement says that we will be an increasingly diverse, compassionate community, knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in our neighborhoods and world. And under neighborhoods and world, we've written this paragraph. We say, we believe that when Jesus said, love your neighbor in his great commandment, he meant our actual neighbors. Right here around the church, even the neighbor that called the police this morning and said the music was a little too loud during warm-up, but we'll pray for them. The love our neighbors around the church in each of the neighborhoods where you live and beyond. John 3.16 proclaims God's love for the whole world. And Jesus' great commission calls us to make disciples of all nations. And that word is ethnos. And we will continue to build and develop relationships where the hurting are helped and the lost are found. And one of the objectives for carrying that out says this, that we will practice the art of neighboring. Loving, Jesus, loving as Jesus calls us to love. By building relationships. By helping where needed. By being open to God's leading when opportunities for spiritual conversation present themselves. And we have right here in writing that we commit to this to live into the Bless Evangelism Initiative. Well, that sounds great, Pastor. It still freaks me out. 
How will we do this? How will we fish better together? How will we work better together? I want to propose that it's a combination of encouragement and accountability. To encourage each other with your own stories when all of a sudden you surprise yourself with a coworker and you've had an opportunity to offer to pray for them or they've opened up to you about some of their questions. Share that story with other people you know in the body. Say, hey, God is at work. God is opening up doors of opportunity in the people I'm praying for. Please share those because those stories encourage us to hang in there and do this work of blessing others. We're encouraged this morning as Hindo presents himself for baptism because one of the reasons he's doing it is to say, I want to publicly profess my commitment. And so he is, he's taking an action. That's a story you can tell somebody this week. We say, this, this young man in front of a whole bunch of people got dunked in water because of his love for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? Doesn't that restore your faith in young people? And, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it. That's an encouraging story. So we need to encourage each other with our stories of where God is at work. And our own stories encourage others. Our own stories of where we see God at work. Not all the way just back to the first time we came to know Christ, but when it surprises you that all of a sudden your faith is what actually got you through a difficult thing this week where you saw God at work. Tell these stories of healing to people. Tell people what we celebrated today. We need to do this by encouraging each other. But then secondly, there's accountability. And that's when, and that's, that's up to you. You have to decide. You have to say, will you keep me accountable? Say to a partner, say, say to seven, maybe choose somebody to be a prayer partner about your blessed list and say, hey, let's touch base on this every month or so and just say, how are you doing? I'm, I've been praying for those people. We do this at the Board of Spiritual Life meetings occasionally. We huddle up in groups of two or three and we talk about the people on our blessed list. We're trying, we're just beginning this whole system of trying to keep each other accountable to pray. And, and, and when have you opened up opportunities like that? Church, I think, I think we can do this if we do it together, if we encourage one another, and we work to keep each other accountable, not in a, in a mean-spirited way, but in a way to say, I, I need that kind of help to grow. I need that accountability now. I've gotten a little bit sloppy. I, I was just describing my neighborhood to somebody today, and I said, you know what? I realize that the people over the corner, even though, even though I waited for summer, we waited for summer until people are out in the yard, right? Yeah, I'm just waiting for summer. It's September 9th, people. It's starting to get cold. And I'm already losing some opportunities that I had prayed with. I need you to keep me accountable even as I hope you'll ask me to keep you accountable. We're called to follow and we're called to fish. We're called to follow as learners and disciples of Jesus Christ and to do the things that he calls us to do and we're called to fish. I'm so excited for for Hindo this morning. Uh, I had the privilege of being there when he opened his life to Christ Hindo gets it. He understands it. Pastor Diana will talk to him in a minute. You'll hear more from his own mouth instead of mine. But he's decided to be a follower of Jesus. Not just with a lot of information in his head, but with a, with a commitment that he's going to act on even today as he's baptized. And his act of baptism even becomes a, a first step in fishing for others as he proclaims to others, this is real and this has happened. Jesus called those original disciples to be followers and fishers. And he calls us also to follow him and to fish with him and to do it together as a family of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love this story. We're moved by the story of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew and James and John to leave everything and follow him. But Lord, we confess it's hard for us to do sometimes. We, we know it. We understand it. We love you, Jesus. But we ask that you would help us move into that place of encouragement as we encourage one another 
to see our world in new ways and the friends around us in new ways, to lovingly care for the people in our world, even the ones that are difficult, especially the ones that are difficult, and to keep each other accountable as we encourage one another to bless those around us as we follow you and as we fish for people. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.